Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with a rhino in the element wealth studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this hump day we are here and i am back having been uh refreshed and energized uh, for a couple of days appreciate dave hughes filling in Handling uh, the duties here at the iconic Supertalk microphone. <laughs> appreciate that. Why the hell did everything go to hell in a handbasket while I was away, though? I was about to ask, did you happen to stop by the bank at any point over Good the weekend? Good grief. Man. I tried to relax, but how can you do that when the banking system has fallen apart? Man, oh, man. You know... I'll just say this. We've talked a lot about ESG and DEI on the program. Now, I consider that the march to mediocrity. If your business scores an A in ESG and DEI, because, you know, there is a scoring mechanism for that. Even though that's considered racist by these same people. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Well, then, more than likely, uh, your business entity scores an F in ROI. That's my new slogan. ESG, D-E-I-A, R-O-I-F. Can we come up with some more three-letter acronyms? (laughs) It's the truth. This was incompetence at its worst. Across the board, government, big-time government people like, I don't know, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, Fed Chair Jerome Powell, don't even get me started on the economic illiterate that's in the White House. Nothing personal, just factual analysis. This guy has no idea. None. Zero. And we've got a bank, Silicon Valley Bank, that goes kaput. And there are so many things, so many reasons to analyze as to why this happened. But the first thing that came to my mind, Rhino, having dealt with this personally, is 
where are not the bank examiners? That's a different story. I'll get to that. They're financial auditors. In this case, I looked it up. KPMG. One of the big four. Not surprising. A giant bank like this. One of the big four is going to handle their audit. Since 1994, they've been the bank's auditor. Financial auditor. They had to see this. They had to. They just rendered an unqualified opinion. For those of you, if you're not familiar with the various opinion categories that financial auditors issue when they when they complete their audit and produce financial statements, the very first page you see in a financial statement package is always the opinion. That's what people want to focus on. People meaning third parties. That's what that's who typically consumes these audit documents. Third parties as in insurance companies, banks, vendors, customers. That's what it's for. Bonding companies. Regulators. So in this case, you render an unqualified opinion, which basically means we found nothing wrong. There's also a qualified opinion, as opposed to an unqualified. And that, as memory serves, simply means, well, we think there's a problem here. And there's other forms of opinion. The one you never want to see is called the going concern. That means we don't think this place is going to make it. That's what it's called. Going Such concern. Such a nice way to put it. I know it. But an unqualified opinion, and then two months later, it's out. What? That didn't just build up over two months. So where were they? Where were the bank examiners from the Fed? So you've got a Fed president right out there in San Francisco that would be responsible for this particular institution. Um, the Fed chair out there, last name's Daly. Yeah, Mary Daly. Where was she? Where were her examiners? How could they not see the warning signs? Econ 101 students, Finance 101 should be able to look at this balance sheet of this bank and see, this ain't going to make it. Where were they? But you really want to understand what this bank was more obsessed with? Look no further than the board. Not a person on this board had a clue about how to run a bank. Zero banking experience. None. But they, man, they were all over diversity, equity, and inclusion, and a healthier planet. They also had a month-long pride celebration. <laughs> they did. They invested $5 billion in some sustainability efforts garbage. But they got an A on their ESG score. But they're bankrupt. Now I know folks out there are going to see, going to say the, the refrain we've heard, go woke, go broke. Here's the problem, though. It ain't just them. We've discussed it. It's every major corporation and even not major corporation in this country obsessed with this crap. March to mediocrity. 
It said incumbency rhino. When things are going great, oh, you feel so good about yourself. You want to pat yourself on the back and say, look at me how good I am for society. I'm investing $5 billion in sustainability efforts because I'm making money hand over foot. And that's because the Fed is giving it to you at zero. So this is what's interesting. This bank, you look at their balance sheet, it's mostly in U.S. Treasuries, not some exotic investments. But it's long-term U.S. Treasuries. So in a nutshell, folks, here's what happened. When the Fed says, hey, you can get some money here, Mr. Bank, for like zero, and they go dump that in U.S. Treasuries with the highest yield, typically that's going to be long-term Treasury. And they go buy those up. And then all of a sudden, Jay Powell and Corrine Jean-Pierre and Jen Psaki and Joe Biden and the whole lot of them tell us, and Janet Yellen, don't worry about this inflation. You remember, this is transitory. We could play an hour of collages from Democrats telling us it's transitory. So here's what happens. People like SVB Bank and their board, who are all Democrats, and Biden supporters buy into that nonsense. And they say, okay, well, since inflation is transitory, we can just dump all our money in high-yield, long-term treasuries, and we'll be fine. Except it wasn't transitory. Life is filled with consequences to those that believe BS. And that's exactly what happened. So inflation takes hold. It becomes very sticky. And Powell says, oh, shoot. We're going to have to raise rates. And while they're raising rates, all these bonds they've got on their books at 2% are declining in value precipitously because investors can buy them at 5%, brand new today. And in the meantime, any examiner, any auditor, any regulator can see, wow, these guys all got all their money tied up in one single industry. It's called customer concentration. There's a FASB, Financial Accounting Standards Board, number 30. I looked it up. I remember this, dealing with this. It's called a major customer footnote. You do your financial statements, and you see that footnote down there for, for the whole world to see in your publicly reported financial documents. It says, well, we're giving an unqualified opinion here. This company's fine, except... They sure are relying on a couple of major customers. Things go, things go south there. This place is at risk. And I got to tell you, when I went to Wall Street, Rhino, every single investor we pitched, what about your major customers? What about your major customers? That's all I heard, customer concentration. And fortunately, we had none. We didn't have any. And that's more than 10% of your revenue coming from one. That's considered customer concentration. We didn't have any. So we could, but that's all they cared about. Well, I shouldn't say that's all, but it was a major concern because they had invested too many times in the past in companies that had this too much reliance on one or two customers, and they went south, and then the company goes south. It ain't hard to figure out. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studios. We've got Ash Edwards at 11:05 and Jeremy Nelson at 12:05. Stay with us. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. 
Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk, Mississippi. the board this is what aggravates me remember not so long ago california instituted these laws that require you to have all this diversity crap on your board if you're a public company i think with more sales of more than 500 million based in california i don't remember the exact requirements but it's so many of these so many of those and all that kind of crap nothing about are you qualified to serve on the board of a multi-billion dollar financial institution. Newsflash, it's pretty damn complicated. And just being some gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, that doesn't qualify you to serve on the board. When are we going to get out of this crap? Where people are, they're hired, they're promoted, they're compensated, they're admitted on the basis of these immutable physical traits as opposed to, oh, I don't know, qualifications, experience, performance, value proposition. Get out of the way. Well, I mean, we as a country have two choices. We can either do it voluntarily where meritocracy comes back to the forefront. Or we can keep allowing Democrats to hold power and they'll just make it all crumble and then reality will set in and meritocracy will reign supreme because at that point, might is right. I, I pray you're right. And I pray that folks are waking up. I say again, Rhino, when things are going great, money's easy because the Fed has pushed rates to zero, and we've sprinkled all this helicopter money all over the place, and, oh, yeah, I got all this money, and I don't have to work, by the way. You're seeing all kinds of reports lately about millennials are so depressed. Not enough work-life balance. Lazy pansies. Get your butt up and go to work. You have to earn work-life balance. We've lost that. We've lost that concept. We've lost the concept of, you know, you have to start at the bottom and really work your butt off and prove that you're better than the person that you're also working with to get that next level so that maybe you can get a little, be rewarded with a little bit of work-life balance. I don't want to hear it. I can't, I can't comprehend it. You just got out of school. I need work-life balance. What? You need to work a lot. You need to earn your way to the point where you can relax a little bit. That's not a given. Shouldn't be. But you look at how this board was created, and I'm focused on them because they were all about safe spaces, sustainability efforts, month-long pride celebrations, and 
the healthier planet and all that garbage. Well, yeah, that's cool. When the, the money spigot is flowing your way, easy, cheap money, that's great. But when all hell breaks loose because of incompetence by woke regulators and uh, could there be any more incompetence in government than we presently are seeing with Biden's folks? God, I hope not. <laughs> that you would... get more incompetent than that bunch, we really are in trouble. Because <laughs> they're all dumber than a bag of hammers. Unbelievable. So while they had this sprawling DEI organization here at Silicon Valley Bank, for the last eight months, they had no chief risk officer. No chief risk officer in a bank. If there's one thing you've got to have in a bank, and I don't mean just one person, I mean an organization, a business unit, a department headed by the chief who reports directly to the CEO on a daily basis. Hey, boss, this is what we're looking at from a risk perspective every day. How could they miss this? Who in their right mind thinks that when you drop $6 trillion in the economy and then Biden gets elected, it immediately has to add his $1.9 trillion in the American rescue plan? It rescued us, all right. It sailed our butts down the river. And then runs around bragging about it. Oh, when we took over the economy, it was falling apart. No, it wasn't. You crushed it. Your terrible policies and the incompetent people you put in these various positions that have so much power. So you got Jay Powell at the Fed. He's got 400 PhDs in economics working for him. 400! All 400 missed it. Presumably, certainly the majority of them did because he, he's the one that was telling us transitory. Then they got behind the eight ball. So I'll just lay this out there. Had Biden not passed the $1.9 trillion ARPA, we'd still be experiencing inflation. But rather than it being at that 7 and 8% we saw last June, we probably would have topped out in the 4% range. It's bad relative to the Fed's 2% target, but we would not have the situation we have right now with Silicon Valley Bank because we wouldn't have seen bond rates and the yield curve invert the way we did, which essentially just pummeled the value of their assets. That combined with deal flow drying up in the, in the technology sector, and most of their depositors were VCs and so forth from that, and the companies they loan money to in that industry, who, by the way, it's now being reported, were drawing down on their accounts to make their payrolls. You saw that. Make their payrolls because, oh, I don't know, inflation was killing their businesses. And they were in stupid businesses that were never going to make it. All because of ideology over return on investment. Doesn't work. Ever. It's the march to mediocrity at its finest. This wouldn't ha have happened. 
You don't pass the American Rescue Plan. And let's look at here in Mississippi. Our cities and municipalities, and I'm not blaming them, not criticizing them, they're all busy putting all that money to work right now. That's great. Except the banking industry is failing. That's the price you pay for that. It's an old refrain, but there's no such thing as free money. In this case, the people are paying dearly for it in the form of back-breaking inflation and now lots of stress that people are experiencing, worried about the banking industry. Of course, Liz Warren, she's celebrating this. People say, what do you mean, Gerard? She's happy about the bank failing? Well, secretly, privately, I do believe that. We tried to tell you, don't relax those standards in 2018. It's true. Trump and Republicans pushed for that. But you know, 16 Senate Democrats went along with it. But the regulations were sufficient to avoid this. This was incompetent regulators, incompetent financial auditors, KPMG. How does a law passed five years ago cause a bank to fail now if nothing like this has happened in the five years since? You could certainly, I agree with you, you could certainly argue it's a small factor, but it's not the principal cause. I still believe the principal cause is you've got Jay Powell and Janet Yellen, the president, and all his minions saying, don't worry, it's the captain of the Titanic. It's transitory. Go ahead, buy those long-term bonds at 2% SVB. You got no worries until inflation shows up at 8%, which everybody could see coming, except the people that needed to, because they didn't want to admit it. They wanted so bad to pass and ram that stupid $1.9 trillion ARPA plan down our throats so bad so they could take credit. They didn't want the economy to recover without any action because they get no political firepower over that. It's political selfishness, and political selfishness is ruining this country. Especially when coupled with the stupidity of the Democrat Party. Boy, that's a toxic elixir if there ever was one. The Dow down now 500 points. It's off of its lows of the day of being down more than 600 points, but it's over concerns about bank bailouts, what the heck's the Fed going to do. But strangely enough, we got positive news on wholesale inflation today. We'll discuss that much more on the program. Again, Ash Edwards coming up at 11.05, and Jeremy Nelson from Element Wealth at 12.05. We'll talk to Ash about the legislative session, and with Jeremy, we'll discuss this SVB collapse and See what we need to do about our money. Stay with us. We're in the Element Well Studios, and we're just getting started. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi.
Now, I know a lot of folks believe that this is all part of the plan. Take it down. I differ with them on this, and here's my reason why. Reducing the country to rubble doesn't really provide what they want. You see, they want they want the prosperity, the assets that capitalism creates, but they want to control it and manage it. There's nothing to control or manage or oversee if it's taken down and reduced to rubble. They truly do believe, folks, in their head. It's this outrageous hubris of people like Liz Warren. Oh, we can run those banks from Washington. We can't let the market have anything to do with that. And so, a minute ago when I said she's celebrating, and and maybe that's a bit of hyperbole, but I do believe there's a piece of people like her down inside, Rhino, where they say, see, we told you, you've got to have us. You need us. You need government. We're here for you. We're going to take it over. We'll protect you while we skim off the top. It's exactly what Xi Jinping does in China. Every time something like this happens, we see, we told you folks that capitalism doesn't work. You've got to subscribe to this communistic system. We will take care of you. Same deal here, on a bit smaller scale. But it's Liz Warren saying, yeah, we got them now. We're showing them. They got to have us. Got to have government. Makes me more powerful. We're going to come rescue on the white steed. And they'll ride that into the next election cycle. We bailed them out. We took care of you. All hail the all-powerful, omnipotent government. That's exactly what's happening here. So it is true that the stress test thresholds during the Trump administration, talking about for banks, were raised from $50 billion in assets to $250 billion in assets. But I don't know if you guys remember this, but it wasn't too long ago. You couldn't get a loan from a community bank or a mid-sized bank. The regulations were so strict, they couldn't loan you any money. Or the, the pool of those who qualified for any kind of lending was small. And the cost to administer all that garbage, off the charts. So that's absolutely true. And they're going to call for it again. They already have. Renewed calls for it. we got to drop the stress test thresholds down. But there are plenty of warning signs here. Where are you, Mary Daly, president of the San Francisco Fed? Where are your people? Too worried about your damn pronouns. Where to pee? Where are you, KPMG? And what about this goofy board with their month-long pride celebration? How many hours do you think, Rhino, they spent planning that? As opposed to, I don't know, looking at the balance sheet. When are we going to get refocused on what matters? How do we get there? When enough people wake up and realize that being woke is ignorant and asinine. Stupid. 
It's, uh, it's, it's sickening. Again, I call it the march to mediocrity. Heck, in this case, it was a march to total collapse. But you could or see. maybe if the left would actually apply their own standards to their own heroes. Because, I mean, they, they lionize idiots like Karl Marx and Sanger and all these people. Marx was a rapist. Sanger was a eugenicist. They cancel everything else. They love looking back to blame people. But then they lionize these freaking monsters. That's true. That's true. Totally. And yesterday, the president says that actions by Florida and other states, by uh, like Mississippi, for example, who have banned mutilation of minor bodies, he says that's sinful. Sinful. And I heard him, I wish I could find the tape, Rhino, maybe you could dig it up. You're pretty good at that. I heard him say this, and I don't believe one minute of it. I remember when I was a child going to school, and my father was taking me, dropping me, you heard this, right? Dropping me off. And I saw two well-dressed men. I don't know what the hell they were doing at the school, but he said there were two well-dressed men kissing. And my father said, this is Biden talking to his father about his father. Well, they, Joe, they love each other. You think that happened? It's a well-rehearsed lie. He's told time and time again. Here's a montage. I can remember exactly where my uh, epiphany was. Okay. I hadn't thought much about it, to tell you uh -huh. the truth. And I was a, I was a senior in high school. And when I was a 17-year-old kid. At the time, back then in the 60s. I was, it was 1960. In 1961, probably 1963, and my dad was dropping me off. He dropped me off. And my dad was dropping me off to drop me off in the city hall to go get an application. And I was applying for a job as a lifeguard to try to get a job as a lifeguard. As a lifeguard the city pool system because they paid better than the county job I had. They paid more money in the city. At the town square, Rodney Square, and Rodney Square they call it, what they call Rodney Square. I remember getting out of a car, I remember about to get out of the car and I looked to my right and I saw these two men in the corner when I was getting out of the car. And there were two men in suits like I'm wearing standing in the corner. Got out, there were two guys in the corner and two well-dressed men in suits. It just went blank on me. But, yeah, that's seven or eight different times he's told the same ball-faced lie. I don't believe it. I mean, I hate to just call somebody a liar here, but I, it just sounds too conveniently far-fetched, doesn't it, to fit some goofy narrative. Who cares? Well, I mean, he's claiming that he witnessed that and experienced that in the 60s, but, I mean, he didn't seem to care all that much about it when it happened when he was talking to Meet the Press in the 2000s. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law, the Defense of Marriage Act, where we've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the game going on here? Wow. Okay. Well, then he's a liar. He's never come out and said, well, I've evolved on this matter. I've never heard that. He's acted like he's felt this way his entire life, like making this reference to the epiphany he had. 
again, I say too much focus on all that. I don't care if two well-dressed adult men want to go kiss themselves. That's fine. I don't care. But mutilating young bodies before they possess the intellect, the cognition to make these sorts of decisions? No. It's different. He's trying to equate them. It's not. It's different. Consenting adults? Have at it. Children? No. It's different. I think society has a duty to protect them. Just simple as that. Well, now we've got an issue with the producer price index, which is the measure of inflation at the wholesale level. Gosh, he comes in today surprisingly positive. It was down. It was actually down 0.1%. Now, that's not a lot, but the expectation by economists was to, uh, to see an increase of 0.3%. So this is a harbinger of inflation. Yesterday we got the CPI. It was pretty much in line with expectations. But today we get the PPI, which is more instructive of the future of retail pricing, inflation. Oh, that's good. So normally on a day like today, the Dow would be through the roof up. Wow, this means that inflation is getting under control. The Fed's going to ease off on its rate-hiking campaign, but instead we get Credit Suisse coming out this morning saying, eh, we're not looking too good either. Credit Suisse, this is a humongous European bank, iconic. And then yesterday, of course, Signature Bank. We got some sound we got to play for you from Signature Bank that I think pretty much just epitomizes what the heck's wrong with a whole deal where a bank is focused on everything but being a fiduciary for its depositors, its stockholders, and making money? When are we going to get back to, you know, profit is not a dirty word. It's actually what makes the world go round. Till we realize that, we're doomed. It's time to return to that. Profit! Bravo! Yay, profit! Coming right back in the Element Well Studios. Middays with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Michael and Brookhaven on the ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. What do you think about Byram's, that's the mayor of Byram's, $5 million offer to decouple from Jackson Water? I think the mayor and the people of Byram are sick of not having water, is what I think. Uh, Michael, I, we'll see where that goes. The Fed has blood on their hands with the rate hikes so rapidly. Should have had the funding backstop in place where banks could borrow against their agency bonds at par. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly one way to look at it. I, I, I think it's a result of 
not acknowledging that all the bad fiscal policy was going to produce inflation. They kept saying, no, 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 it's transitory. And then when they finally realized, oh, I guess it's not, they went to work on a rather rapid pace, no doubt about that. I think could have avoided a lot of this calamity by just getting off the zero uh, percent Fed funds rate earlier and acknowledging, mm, might have uh, some inflation risk here. Bo in Indianola says, great breakdown. Appreciate that, Bo. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. It's, um, it's, it's complicated, and uh, I, I hope we're able to distill it down to some understandable terms. Honestly, folks, we shouldn't have to worry about this sort of stuff. If the systems do their jobs, people in the systems do their jobs, such as appointing people to board seats to run a major financial institution based on something other than their advocacy for a month-long gay pride celebration. Maybe they ought to know something about banking. And this is happening across our society, scarily. Dan in Hattiesburg, a simple rule of thumb used to be don't put all your eggs in one basket. And that's, that surely applied here, Dan. You're right. Invested in one industry, not so much one customer, one industry, pretty much. All of which could tumble if there's any sort of threats to that industry. Their largest depositor, Cryptocurrency firm, three billion, I think they had. Roku, two number two on the list with four hundred and fifty-seven billion. Talking about deposited million, million in their case, four fifty-seven million deposited in the bank. Not unusual for a major company, but you look down the list, it's just it's just more companies in the same industry. That's just extremely risky. So here's what's happening: you got a lot of folks that are taking their money out of these uh, smaller, mid-sized community banks, you know where they're putting it? In the big banks. So the big banks are getting bigger. And that's fine. I believe J.P. Morgan, Jamie Dimon, the CEO, is the best CEO in the banking industry. He's the one you remember that went to the Hill when they asked him about loaning to the fossil fuels industry. And he said something to the effect to whomever the fool in Congress was asking him about that. Was it Ariana Presley, maybe, Rhino, that you remember asked the question when he when the bank CEOs, the big bank CEOs, Goldman Sachs, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, were on the Hill testifying about, which they shouldn't even been been there. Why? It's none of your business if they want a loan to the fossil fuels industry. And, and Diamond said something to the effect, it, well, it'd be stupid <laughs> if we didn't loan money to the fossil fuels industry. So right. Roger Wicker voted for that too, right, talking about the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. He did not. It was not supported by any Republicans. What Senator Wicker did vote for was the uh, $1.2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure plan, the $500 billion CHIPS Act, 
which now we've learned has all sorts of strings attached in order for any of those chip manufacturers to receive government grants, such as you've got to set up child care in your place of business, and I'm sure you've got to have 14 different bathrooms and crap like that. And then Senator Wicker supported the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill, one of a handful of Republicans in the Senate in each of those, on each of those three measures that without Republican support would not have happened. We're taking a break right here with the Super Talk News and Fox News coming your way, and then Ash Edwards, a coastal Mississippi entrepreneur and former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. And after that, I'm going to go into some uh, detail a bit about what I think the president should do. You want to really get the economy humming and uh, address the risk we now have in the banking sector. Uh, I've got some ideas. Fiscal policy. Because we've got a Fed that's fighting bad fiscal policy with monetary policy that ain't working, honestly. And that's what caused this uh, failure of SVP, VB. Violent protest in France. They don't want to work, Rhino. <laughs> They're all out the streets again. Coming right back. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Midday Super Talk Mississippi. Gerard and Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios on this hump day. And joining us now, Ash Edwards, coastal Mississippi entrepreneur and former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. Ash, good morning, sir. Thanks for joining us. Hey, good morning, Gerard. Thanks for having me today. You bet. So we have been uh, talking quite a bit this morning about, I guess, what is on the top of everyone's mind (laughs) across the country, if not the world, and that's uh, the banking crisis. You know, to me, this feels uh, a little bit more like the 80s, the uh, the mid-80s. Of course, you're an entrepreneur. You know a little bit about uh, finance and capital and raising capital and all that that entails. Well, what I recall is going to commercial banks in 1985, fresh off the uh, SNL crisis, very similar situation. They were sitting on lots of bonds and uh, in investment uh, instruments that carried very low interest rates, and the Fed was propping rates up to try to rid uh, the nation of this sticky inflation. And uh, you you couldn't get a hundred thousand dollar loan on a two hundred thousand dollar piece of property back then. It I mean it was that tight, and I think it, at that point, however, some thousand SNLs went down, and it was it was tough for a budding entrepreneur who didn't really understand all of those intricacies to try to get capital. So we're not quite at that point, but it sure does smell bad. What do you think? Yeah, I, th- I think you're absolutely right about that. You know, look, I, I made the comment, I think, when I was on Paul Gallo's show a few months back, and 
we were talking about the Fed and I said, look, the Fed is going to continue to raise rates until something breaks. Uh, perhaps this is the, the first signs of, of something breaking. Um, but look, you know, the interesting thing about it is the way this is going to fundamentally change the Fed's approach to interest rate hikes. We're likely going to see them pause. I, you probably agree with that. Um, it, you know, but someone asked me today, well, look, aren't we going to just have the same problems if they pause? And I said, well, what's going to happen with the, the crisis that we're seeing in the banking system right now is that credit's going to tighten so, uh, so much that lending is going to just cease to exist in the ways that we've seen it over the last few years, which is also going to have a cooling effect on the economy. In fact, maybe even more so than some of what the Fed was planning to do. So, you know, one way or another, this is going to continue to, I think, affect the economy, uh, even without the Fed continuing to hike rates. But, um, you know, what's incredible to me, Gerard, is just how quickly this happened. And for the average consumer out there who's doing their banking, you know, they can't read a bank's balance sheets the way a Wall Street analyst can. And right. the ability for people to know if their money is safe and the way that this kind of brings that into question is, is interesting. Now, I think most people's money is safe in the American banking system, but certainly we're going to see more bank failures before this ends. I think you're right about that. And uh, I, I may differ a little bit with you. I actually think the Fed is... Uh, it, it, to save face, I think they're going to give us a quarter a point hike when they meet on the 22nd. And that's not going to be met with uh, very positively uh, by investors. So I'm watching the markets down 658 at this point. Got it on the screen here. On a day where we saw the PPI come in lower than expected, actually declined. And that's, of course, a, a, a harbinger of future retail pricing, inflation, consumer pricing. We would normally see the market going crazy, thinking, "Well, the Fed's going to pause. This is their reason right here." But I think I think Jerome Powell is 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 just so intransigent about this, and I could be wrong, and I hope you're right. Honestly, I hope we do see a pause. But I'm I'm they've got a dilemma on their hands, a quandary, because you've got data saying, "Well, we need to uh, we need to pause because it looks like inflation's coming in check," and then on the other hand, you've got uh, this situation with uh, the the banks, it's a tough deal, and I I think they're lying in the bed that they made. I completely agree with that. I mean, you know, look, there there have been I think warnings coming from Wall Street throughout the entire Fed's rate hiking process here that says, you know, you guys are going to keep raising rates until you break something, but when you break something, are you prepared for what's going to come? You know, at that point, and of course. Guys that watch this stuff, they, they know what the pattern is. You're going to see rate hike, rate hike, rate hike, and then suddenly there's going to be enough economic uncertainty and trouble, they're going to have to start decreasing rates. And that could happen in quick succession. I mean, you see exactly what's happening in the market right now. They're already pricing in rate decreases for, for later this year, which right. you know is yet to be seen. But look, I would not be surprised if, if what you predict does come true. I think you're right. I think uh, Jerome Powell is is absolutely tied to the hip now, to the strategy that he has espoused, that he espoused again last Tuesday, obviously before the news of SB, SVB hit. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out. But, you know, it's going to create, I think, a lot of continued volatility in the market. You know, we were up yesterday significantly, down significantly today. 
You're already seeing some of this contagion spread to the European financial markets. That's going to continue. Um, you know, and look, so someone I was talking about this with someone yesterday, and they said, "Well, you know, what banks can can withstand this?" The truth of the matter is, if the depositors make a run on any bank, they're going to fail. With I mean, there's no bank that's got enough money to cover all the depositors that are out there, especially the uninsured depositors. Um, hopefully that won't happen, but we're in such a different age now because rather than having lines of people, you know, lined up outside the bank teller stations, this is all digital today. So, That's right. Uh, you know, the, the ability for a run to begin and the, the way that can trickle down through the markets quickly, that's a scary proposition. It is. It really since, uh, as you know, Ash, banks have, um, have practiced what's called fractional banking. Uh, ever since then, you're exactly right. If there if there's a run, they can't withstand that. Uh, what this means, let's talk about what this means to to Mississippians, where a lot of folks do business with with uh, community banks and banks that are not national banks. They're not part of the um, too big to fail set of banks. The concern I have, Ash, is that. We're going to see a boost in regulations. We're probably going to see the the uh, the ceiling go back down, perhaps to fifty billion, where all these various stress tests are applied. And then what happens is these community banks just kind of clam up and say, "Oh, we got to be careful." And we're back to that era again, where you can't get any money. That's right. I think you're absolutely right about that. And you know, look, I know some of these bankers that that run the community banks that are smaller or regional size here in Mississippi. And for the most part, they've got very good leadership, very conservative investment strategies, and good board. Probably most of the people are going to be safe. Um, but that's certainly not the case across the country, as you know. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right, and you're already seeing it in the narratives coming out of Washington. I mean, the things that I'm seeing over and over this morning. It's people saying, look, this stress testing is going to have to come down to a lower threshold because the changes that were made, the regulations that rolled back have allowed this to happen. So there's no question that's going to be the next big push here. And you're absolutely right. The, the you know, for every uh, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. It's going to be continuing tightening of credit markets. And that's going to really slow down, I think, a lot of economic activity. And that could stick in the economy for a while. And so. You know, the difficulty is, you know, when the Fed talks about cooling off the economic engine, well, when you run that engine out of gas, it takes a while to get it restarted sometimes. But I don't know how much patience the American consumer is going to have for that kind of economic uncertainty over a longer period of time. Yeah, and that so that's my concern, Ash, is that, if again, in our state, we're not as flush with the national banks. I think we have a, 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 a very vibrant uh, and and very well managed community banking world, but when the regulators step in, uh, you know they start to change their tune because they're forced to essentially when they're subjected to all these various stress tests, and they got um, controller of currency staff in their midst uh, year round is what happens. That's right. I mean, and it can be it can be burdensome and cumbersome and. You know, look, I mean, you understand what the federal government's trying to do here. They're trying to maintain and ensure the solvency of the American banking system. And that is a that's a good goal to have. I don't know that the, that the means always justify the ends. And so, right. you know, but look, it's we're overdue probably for a, a, a very thorough relook at federal policy as it relates to the financial systems. 
Um, all the things that have happened this year just underline that point more and more. And so hopefully this will be a, a way for some of that to begin to modernize over time to reflect the new realities of the financial world, which, which aren't what they were in 2008 during the financial crisis. Totally agree. We're up against a break. Can you hang around? I want to talk to you about the uh, the legislative session. Get your uh, your views on that. You good to go? You good to stay with sure, us? Sure, I'll hang around. All right, we got Ash Edwards uh, from the Mississippi Gulf Coast, an entrepreneur, and also the uh, former president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. We're coming right back in the Element Wealth Studios. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. The Steve Miller Band bumping us into this segment. We've got Ash Edwards on the line with us. So, Ash, uh, final thing that uh, I'll get your reaction to concerning this uh, whole banking debacle is Larry Fink, of course, the CEO of BlackRock. He says he fears more seizures, more closures. He says this is a result of decades of easy money, and he also, this is what really got the markets concerned. He wrote a 20-page letter to his, um, his shareholders, and he said he expects inflation to be very sticky in the 35 to 4% range for years. And that was not received too well, if you can imagine, by the investment community because that uh, portends of uh, continued aggressive rate hikes on the part, or certainly staying at a relatively high level on the part of the Fed, which just makes the cost of capital more expensive and hurts equities, you know, the whole drill there. What do you think about Fink? Is he overreacting here? What do you think? You know, look, it, it's tough to tell. I've been reading some of the analysis and, and the losses on some of these balance sheets that are starting to come to light now are, are staggering. I mean, it, it, it's scary to see that. And so I think there is more to it probably than most people know. Um, by that same nature, I also think that there's probably a little bit of leveraging going on here in the sense that the, the more that something is made to be a crisis, the more likely that, uh, you know, really important or, or I should say aggressive federal intervention will come to help kind of bail things out on the back end. You know, and, and of course the, the White House was very careful to say yesterday, you know, we, we've not bailed anybody out. Um, I don't want to argue semantics with them, but I would not be surprised that there aren't bailouts coming at some point, certainly if, you start to see a, a, an institutional type of weakness here that's going to hit a lot of banks. And, and of course, just from a pragmatic perspective, Gerard, I asked myself, how could there not be more of this? Because we know 
um, that these banks were heavily invested in, a lot of banks were heavily invested in bonds that have now turned upside down. And so uh, to, to the extent that a lot of banks were managing their internal financials and their internal portfolios this way, um, it's very likely that we're gonna see just repeats of what's happened with SVB. And what, you know, what's amazing to me though is, you know, people weren't even really talking about this Thursday of last week at this time. By Friday, you were just starting to hear some of it come out. The, the speed at which we can identify what is really a very major crisis in the American financial sector is that's a little bit scary. Um, now, I've read that JP Morgan and, and, and Moody's and others had started to kind of, you know, draw attention to this a few months back. But still, it's sort of like, you know, where were the regulators? Uh, where were all the things that would give us some inkling that this was coming as quickly as it came? It's it's amazing. I, I talked about it at uh, on the show when we got started that you got regulators and then you've got the supervisory function of the Fed. Where were they? I mean, it's, it's in Mary Daly. She's the chair of the San Francisco Fed. It's in her backyard there. Where, where were her folks? And then where were um, bank regulators, of course, which is a different group. And then you've got their, their financial auditors, which happens to be KPMG. I looked it up since 94. Where were they? I mean, they just issued an unqualified opinion, and then two months later the thing explodes. I think they got some splaining to do, do they not? Well, absolutely. I mean, when you look at the, the mix that was in this bank, the depositors that were in there, I mean, a large percentage of American venture capital was yeah. sitting in that bank. A lot of major companies had money sitting in that bank. I mean, so, you know, this was, this was more than just a regional bank. This was a very economically significant bank in the grand scheme of things. And you think about what could have been. I mean, you look, the, the obviously the investors are, are left holding the bag on this. The depositors will be made whole. Uh, but this is not over by any stretch of the imagination. i got to tell you, Ash, when I went to, to the um, commercial banking world to, to borrow a, a dab of money, honestly, to start my company, it was a very small company, I, I got kicked to the curb. I just regularly for about 12, 14 months saying no, no, no. And it was because I didn't have any what they call collateral. <laughs> Imagine that. You've got to have some sort of, some sort of uh, security uh, to perfect these loans that they could rely on that could cover a default. But in this case, they were loaning money out almost acting as a VC, which also happened to be their depositors as well. I mean, it's just a cozy relationship there. You just know that's not going to work. They're loaning money on air. That's what private equity and VC firms do, not commercial banks. That's right. Well, you know, it's the old saying, there's nothing as expensive as free money. And, you know, the, the years of, of having zero or, or near zero interest rates uh, are rearing their head very quickly here. You know, of course, look, I, I was what has it been two or three years ago now when, when Trump was president and he was advocating for uh, going below zero with interest rates. Right. And, you know, I said that was a bad idea. And I, you know, I think people are starting to see why. I mean, you know, this is it's a dangerous situation. And as you mentioned before, three to four percent sustained inflation is going to be very, very tough on the American economy and the world economy. Yeah, no um, doubt. Of course, the Fed's target is percent, but 
that seems like a pipe dream at this point. I totally agree. So what did you think about um, uh, the legislative session? We'll turn our focus to that a little bit. Well, Still you know, on, hey, the legislatures, there's a, there's a lot going on. Yeah. I follow the legislative session closely. You know, I, I look, I, I have always been uh, probably well known for being a little critical of the Mississippi legislature. Um, that's not going to change today. But they've got some big issues in front of them this year. This is a much more important legislative session than I think we see in a lot of election years when some of these types of issues kind of get pushed to the to the back burner. And, um, you know, it's, it's been interesting to kind of watch the changes that have occurred. I, look, I will say this, Gerard. I think the overwhelming kind of takeaway from this legislative session is there is no sort of standard political philosophy that is governing in the Mississippi legislature. There, there are very conservative things that happen. Then there are things that go very much against sort of conservatism and free market principles. And so, um, you know, if you can predict which way the legislature is going to go, uh, you know, I salute you because I, it's one of those things that you just never know where these things are going to end up. I agree with you totally, Ash. I, I think that, uh, that folks have sort of taken on their own definition of what it means philosophically to be liberal, to be conservative, and there, so there's no consensus on that uh, wherever you land in the political spectrum. And it, and it seems like that um, that chart just keeps getting wider. You could land somewhere between the far left and the far right, and then every day it seems like we keep pushing the extremes out further on both sides. Um, so uh, I agree, and, and I think that nowhere is that more evident than perhaps uh, the three people who are most responsible for uh, legislation in the state, that being our Speaker of the House, the Lieutenant Governor presiding over the Senate, and then the Governor. I'm not sure uh, how much alignment of their philosophy and views exists. I think you're right, and I think we've we've seen the evidence of that. You know, look, it, it's it's tough. That uh, they've got they've got tough roles. You know, I'm I don't want to be overly critical, but uh, you know, and they've got they're they're hearing from a lot of different people every day. Legislative session is a very tough session, but oftentimes I I think I look at you know the decisions that are being made, and I, I oftentimes wish that there was a little bit more transparency, a little bit more debate, a little bit more consideration of data and facts before some of these things get done. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, Mississippi is as financially and economically healthy as we've been in quite some time. Um, and hopefully that will continue for a while. You know, the interesting thing is we usually kind of lag the rest of the country. But I, you know, I, I look, I'm kind of bearish as a, as a matter of principle. I, I, you know, that doesn't always uh, bode well for kind of talking about financial issues. But uh, I'm still kind of bearish on the economy, and I'm, I'm a, I fear that we've not seen the, all the pain ahead. And that's going to, I think, be a big issue in upcoming legislative sessions. Because if we start seeing our state budget uh, sort of revert to where it had been before this big infusion of money started hitting a few years ago, it's going to create a lot of challenges that they're just not really facing right now. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, also got a report this morning, that you probably saw that on retail sales for February. They came, came in lower than expected. So, again, uh, when might that hit Mississippi? Because that would affect the sales tax revenue uh, and income tax revenue. So many of our businesses are passed through, and when their sales are down, well, then they pay less income taxes, and they produce uh, fewer sales taxes, uh, the revenue that goes to the state. Ash, appreciate you joining us, and uh, enjoyed the conversation, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. 
Thanks, Gerard. Have a great one. You too. We're going to step aside for a break right here on Middays. We're coming right back with half an hour. We got some video, some sound to play for you, and then Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth at 1205. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. With you in the Element Wealth Studios, it's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. Appreciate uh, Ash Edwards joining us. I enjoyed that conversation. So the city of San Francisco, <laughs> well, they're now proposing reparations, five million dollars to every eligible black adult, the elimination of personal debt and tax burdens. Guaranteed annual incomes of at least $97,000 for 250 years and homes in San Francisco for just $1 per family. Now, San Francisco is running a deficit, significant deficit, $728 million, I believe, is the figure I last saw. This program will cost $640 billion. Where's that coming from? It's unbelievable. These are people that come up with this stuff. They cannot produce anything for society. And they come up with these ideas. Somehow it makes them feel better about themselves. I just can't wrap my head around the notion of, all right, here's $5 million and we're canceling your debt. I agree. That's They're giving point. you five million bucks. You can pay off your freaking debt on your own. Good point. It's to hold my beer play. That's what that is. It's un- it's unbelievable. And yes, Silicon Valley Bank donated seventy three million bucks to groups related to the Black Lives Matter movement. That's how they got that high ESG score. They're proud of that, too. I bet they got that trophy right out there in the front lobby. Number one, ESG. We got an A. Oh, we're bankrupt. Pay no attention to that. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Larry and McGee says, I wish the whole country could listen to your show. Nothing but the truth. I appreciate that, Larry. Tim in Cleveland says, preach it, brother. William and Brandon, are you sure you're relaxed and refreshed? Breathe, my friend. I told you I got new energy (laughs) fueled up. It's maddening. This country is a pretty good place, despite all this nonsense. But there are a lot of people who are engaged in misguiding 
I, I go back to Maslow's famous hierarchy of needs. These are people that are try, trying to ascend the pyramid, the hierarchy, uh, like under false pretense. You want to become self-actualized? That's the top rung, if you're familiar with the pyramid, folks. And it's real simple. It's who was it? Andrew Maslow came up with this concept back in the 50s, I think. Maybe even prior to that. 1943 in his paper, A Theory of Human Motivation. There you go. Was it Andrew? Is that right? What was his name? Uh, Abraham. Abraham. I knew it was an A. From Sweden or something, wasn't he? I don't, I don't think it was an American. But nonetheless... Yeah, he was American. He, he was born in Brooklyn. Okay, my fault. He's the, um, he came up with this concept known as the hierarchy of needs, and it's usually depicted as a pyramid. And at the bottom it says, you know, there are people that are just trying to eat. They're trying to survive. Their they, physiological needs. Right. All the way up to the very top is self-actualized, meaning that, that you feel good about yourself, you're... you're you feel this sense of, of pride, and, and, and that comes from meaningful, measurable contributions you made to society. You don't need trophies. You don't need awards. You don't need backpacking. You don't need any of that sort of stuff. You just you do good for society. And by doing so, you you're feel good. Good. You've got a, a sense of contentment. But these people here, they're trying to get through Maslow's hierarchy in, in that level of self-actualization just by doing stuff that is just farcical in terms of its doing good for society, its contribution to society. Like giving $73 million to Black Lives Matter only to see, what's her name, Patricia, whatever the hell her name is, go spend it. She was one of the officers, head people in the BLM uh, organization. She goes and buys herself a mansion in a gated community. And all the other improper use of money that was supposed to go ostensibly to something positive. But that's just one of the examples. There are all these other sustainability causes, which were just nothing but churning money that was never going to produce anything. And you pat yourself on the back for it. I submit that if this bank had run into financial difficult, if a bank had run into financial difficulties and they were heavily invested in, let's say, the fossil fuels industry, they were invested into in businesses, borrowers that weren't all tied up in wokeness. Even worse, maybe a major stockholder of such a bank would be Donald Trump. I don't think you'd see the FDIC, the Fed, the Treasury meeting over the weekend to devise a plan. Seriously, that's how upside down things are. Let's see, where do you stand on the ideological spectrum? 
You're for BLM. You're for CRT. You're for radical gender ideology. You support abortions. You want to outlaw guns? Okay, here's your money. Pass. Unbelievable. But that's where we've gotten in this country. Really crazy. Joe Biden can't define epiphany on the ceasefire text line. Louie from the 662, where are the feminists? Totally agree. Yeah, Mike enriched and remind. That's right, Mike. 75 million to BLM. Just waiting for MSNBC to blame it on January 6th, says Bo from Gulfport. Don't give them any ideas. I'm sure that's coming. They've already blamed it on Trump and Republicans' relaxation of, of a banking regulation. Board seats like school board seats are filled to ensure an outcome. That's sad, but true. Kind of seems like the way the only way to get wealthy these days is to either to be corrupt or stupid on the ceasefire tax line. <laughs> D in West Point says, loving the music today. That's uh, Rhino, man. He's all over it. Ben from Madison says, disappointed but not surprised, Governor Reeves signed HB 401. Gerard, I wanted to thank you for bringing attention to the bill. This is the vehicle sales restriction bill. You were a big reason why the people pushed back on it so much. I know I've said it before, but the people of Mississippi would be incredibly lucky if you were to run for lieutenant governor in 27. Appreciate that, Ben. Preach. Um, you know, I, I'm not, at the end of the day, surprised that the governor signed the legislation because it had such overwhelming support in the House and in the Senate. I know the governor pretty well. I know where he stands on this sort of stuff. I don't believe he agrees with this. This is just my opinion now. I don't agree that the governor agrees with this move philosophically. But I think he can read the tea leaves with respect to the numbers, and I'm not sure a veto uh, would have worked. Yeah, but... He could have just not signed it. He could have. And it would have still become law, and he wouldn't have had to put his stamp on it. I agree. And it and it did come down uh, to the very end, uh, because yesterday was the deadline. So, you know, I don't disagree with the governor very often from a policy perspective. And, and this is one where I do, and that's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll move on. It's... Um, it's just it's disappointing. And the governor said that uh, today I signed H. I'm reading his official statement. I signed HB 401 to restore Mississippi's auto dealer franchise law back to how it had been interpreted for the last 50 years. Almost 200 small businesses and communities across our state are seeking assurances that big manufacturers can't just destroy their businesses. That's fair. And on the other side of the break here, I'll read an additional uh, tweet that he attached to this one because I think it's important for perspective. Hang in there with us, folks. We're coming right back in the Element Wealth Studios. It's Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth at 1205, and we got sound to play from uh, for you. you got to stick around for that from the Signature Bank CEO and a pronoun consultant, for lack of a better way to describe him. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. 
on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk Mississippi. So I did promise that I would uh, share with you guys what I thought President Biden should do. I'm going to do that, get back to um, the governor's other comment pertaining to HB 401. The first thing he's got to do is tear up this stupid budget that he proposed uh, last week. We, uh, of course, we castigated uh, that plan, as we should. It's got $5.5 trillion of new taxes in it. The dumbest thing you could do, given the headwinds this economy is facing, is increase taxes. Dumb. Now, I know they says, oh, it's just on the rich. we got to make the billionaires pay the rate of the firemen, which is a complete hoax and, com- and a complete lie. Second thing he's got to do is agree as part of this debt ceiling negotiation, which is just around the corner, to, at a minimum, agree to a continuing resolution on spending, which means it stays the same. Now, it's too high in my view, but if he would just come forward today and say, you know what, this budget, do a rip-up on the screen just like Nancy Pelosi did to the State of the Union address, I see it, it's not going to work, I'm ripping it up, starting over. Second thing is, we're not going to increase spending. We're going to hold the line for the next two cycles at a minimum. I think you'd see lots, a big sigh of relief in the investment community and the business community because right now all they're thinking is this guy just wants to regulate more, he wants to tax more, he wants to keep adding to the debt. And the third thing, we've said it so many times, but it still holds true today, is unleash the animal spirits of the incredibly vibrant American energy industry. This crap he said in the State of the Union address, we're going to need oil and gas at least for 10 years. These investments are amortized over 15 to 20, you fool. That's what happens when you have somebody in the White House that's leached off the government their entire life. They do not understand basic economics, basic business, basic ROI. If he'd get out of the way, we'd have abundant supply of energy. We would lessen our reliance on people that want to wipe us off the planet. And we'd see inflation start to retreat. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. On HB 401, the governor went on to say, I also recognize HB 401, that's the bill that... uh, is described as updating the franchise laws, but what it does is it restricts uh, the sale of vehicles, new vehicles in the state, to only brick-and-mortar locations, dealerships, if you will, that are independently owned, not owned by the manufacturer of the same vehicle. The governor said, 
I also recognize that innovation in this industry is inevitable, and with innovation comes new companies with new business models. I am committed to find long-term solutions in an ever-changing market. I look forward to working with all parties going forward to do just that. So I, I, I applaud the governor recognizing that this is this is the same conversation Rhino I had with the lieutenant governor. This is inevitable. This, this, this is happening. You can't stop it. You don't want to stop it. This is the market at work. So what I'd like to see happen to those legislators that are tuned in and perhaps folks from the governor's office is, is what I said on the air with Daniel Sparks on Friday, Senator Daniel Sparks. Rather than updating these laws, we should repeal them totally. These are bad laws. I, I get the need to get them consistent as a, a sort of a short-term fix, if you will, but this is a solution looking for a problem. These are laws that I think who's, are dated. Their time has passed. They need to be repealed, just like the certificate of need laws. I'm going to call it what they are again. They're con laws for cars. We should repeal these laws. We don't need laws that, that where the state dictates the route to market, for honestly, for any product or service, in, unless it is one that is highly regulated. And by that, I'm thinking about controlled substances, as an example, firearms to some extent. There may be some others that, that don't come to mind immediately. But in general, products like automobiles, in, in my view, we, we should just get out of the way. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Just drawing on my own personal experience where AT&T, a major carrier in our industry, there was a time 15, 20 years ago we would compete with them in the, for the sale and the installation of really high-end network infrastructure. And Rhino, what they do is they'd sell the gear under cost so they could get the lucrative circuit services business that only they could sell. It's predatory. AT&T, to my business at one time, was a competitor, a vendor, a customer, a subcontractor, and we were a subcontractor to them. It's the route to market at work, but it all worked out because we, uh, we enhanced our value proposition, and ultimately our industry did, and the carriers got out of that business, thank God. And this is the way it should be. The market spoke. We're coming right back after the, uh, the news, Super Talk News, Fox News, and Jeremy Nelson. And now, another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well Studios, uh, the afternoon portion of Middays. Gerard and Rhino on this hump day. And joining us now, partner at Element Wealth, Jeremy Nelson. Uh, Jeremy, good to see you. What a crazy few days we've had here in your world for sure, huh? Yeah, it's definitely disrupted my vacation a little bit. <laughs> well, I, that's where I was, on vacation, and this uh, this stuff broke and 
Uh, so much information to consume, so many details, so many nuances, uh, so many dynamics that are, are figured into this, and at a time when we already have a Fed that seems to be kind of unsure, honestly, about their action, what their next action should be. Uh, we've had an investment community, I feel like, that's just been an army of Fed watchers, and now they've all been turned into bank watchers. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, that's a, good, that's a really good point. Um, look, the Fed screwed up, right, and left rates way too, way down, way long, right? So they left rates at zero when there was inflation. They should have been much more aggressive in what they were doing uh, in raising rates and getting off the stimulus. And then all of a sudden they were forced to go really, really fast. And we see Silicon Valley Bank, you know, <clears throat> a bank that had been investing in long duration securities get forced to go ahead and uh, and liquidate a lot of those securities while they were down, taking you know 1.8 billion dollars in losses, uh, thus needing capital. Then all of a sudden they get 42 billion dollars in deposits pulled out over 48 <laughs> months, and wham, right? And, and this this really goes to show the speed at which things can happen today, right? I mean, if you think about back uh, when Washington Mutual, right, which was the biggest yeah. bank uh, to implode back during the financial crisis, it was like $18 billion of withdrawals over the course of, uh, you know, I think it was like two to three weeks. Here we're talking about $42 billion of withdrawals within 48 hours, right? Um, so it just, I think that um, the issues that are going on with Silicon Valley Bank, with Signature Bank, um, Silvergate, you know, week before last, um, these are not indicative of the broader banking sector, right? Of your normal, um, uh, you know, regional banks that we deal with in Mississippi. You know, th this is indicative of, you know, um, like Silicon Valley Bank, you know, less than 10% of their deposits were covered by FDIC, yeah. right? These were just, you know, tons of venture capital flowing into these banks uh, and sitting there in, in deposits. So, um, you know, you're not looking at runs on the banks where we live because the vast majority of the deposits are covered by FD, FDIC insurance. Yeah, we don't have... That's right. We our banks are are just not flush with uh, a bunch of customers, uh, business customers included that that keep those kinds of balances uh, in in their accounts or in yeah, a single account. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I look, I, I think that the response was interesting. Um, you know, look, let's be real; it it is a bailout, hundred percent. There is going to be cost that's going to happen to. Um, you know, the average person, because it's going to be increased, there's going to be increased FDIC fees or whatever it might be down the road. Um, so it is going to be absorbed throughout the system. Um, but I think that the actions that have been taken from the Fed, you know, the FDIC and the Treasury jointly uh, definitely stabilize yeah. the banking system here. Um, and this might end up being something kind of like that, you know, the, the banking crisis of, you know, 1907, right, where all of a sudden everyone freaked out and then, then it, all, it all settled down, ultimately.
I'm going to make a prediction and ask you to, to comment on it. That the FDIC will be restructured such that 100% of all deposits are insured. I, I actually don't disagree with that because that's essentially what happened here, right? It, it did, but it was I mean, somewhat uh, by force and and of uh, the Treasury and then a backstop facility from the Fed, though at the end of the day, it's the member banks uh, who were who were absorbing most of these costs, which makes their operating costs go up. But my concern is, mm-hmm. Jeremy, that we're going to see the, uh, some move to just add additional protection and eliminate this $250,000 uh, threshold of, of insurance so that all deposits are 100% insured, which is going to require uh, higher premiums on the part of member banks to, to cover that. To increase coverage, essentially. Significantly higher. Yeah, which is going to be well, passed and, and on who, to us, the consumers. Ulti- exactly. That's that's my point. Who's going to end up paying for this? Well, we are, right? I mean, the banks, are they, they've got to be profitable entities uh, in order to provide the service that they provide. Sure. So, yeah, I, I, I it'll be interesting to see. Um, I don't think that the FDIC is going to be reorganized in, you know, the next you know month or two. I think right. this, is a, this is something long-term that's going to have to be looked at. Um, and you know, like maybe they just take. I mean, the two hundred fifty thousand has been there for a long time, and yeah. at worst, they they have to increase that limit uh, to give the average consumer confidence that their deposits in their bank are safe. Yeah, I, I think that's totally uh, the case. Have you done any any uh, research or reading on what appears to be an overly cozy relationship between this bank, this commercial bank, and the uh, venture capital and private equity community? I mean, this is fairly unique. You don't see this kind of relationship the way you do here, where well, there are customers and our depositors and our borrowers all kind of simultaneously. Well, I mean, everything in this bank was so concentrated, yeah. right? The, the the customers, right? The, who they were lending to, the depositors, everything was was VC, crypto, etc. Um, and that is very, very unique. I mean, if you go around and you look at the banks around where we live, they've got very diverse yeah. groups of, of customers, right? And so if there's stress in one industry, it's not taking the whole bank down. And I would use the example of you know what happened in 2014, 2015 in the energy market, which affected us more uh, you know, in Mississippi. So what you saw was all of a sudden there was some defaults that were happening within the, within the energy market. Uh, but because our banks weren't completely concentrated in energy, you know, they were hit by it, but they weren't taken down by it. Whereas here you've got Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, who they're 100% VC and crypto and all this, you know, this new age stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden winter came in that industry <laughs> and boom, right down yeah. the hill. So, so true. I, what happened to just the, the standard asset-based lending uh, that's typically found in a commercial bank? There didn't seem to be like a lot of assets. Uh, behind the scenes, no, no, collateralizing these loans. No, look, and really, what they were doing is they were just gathering up massive, massive deposits, right, and then they were investing them in long-term securities. Yeah, 
And all of a sudden, when the <laughs> Fed had to go up, hey, look, we've talked about this on the show before, right? In 2022, the the Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index was down 13%. Right. So, you know, the longer the term of the bond, right, the more it was down last year. So as rates are going up and up and up, bonds are going down. Well, all of a sudden, they're forced to sell them in the open market at, at massive discounts, you know, leading to that $1.8 billion loss that they took. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it seems also there's been some reports of outflows, some kind of minor runs on some of the non-SIB banks and into the SIB banks. So the Bank of America's Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan's are, are, are kind of winning as a result of this. Well, the, the the winners in all of this are going to be the big banks. No doubt. Right, because... They, because they are the ones that are already going through the the systemic testing and are under much much higher regulation and you know there's a comfort level that hey like they're going through these stress tests the stress tests are made public you know we know exactly you know the how sound they are we know what the what the FDIC is doing when they're looking at these banks uh, and they're they're going to be the winners in all of this. Um, but I also think that there's plenty of opportunity within some of the other regional banks that are out here that are being they're being hit um, that don't have the same issues. Uh, so I think ultimately for investors, there's a lot of opportunity here. But you got to do a little bit of homework to see you know what's good, what's bad. Yeah, right now. totally agree. We're up against a break. Can you hang around with us? I know you're on vacation, but uh, we got a little bit more. Absolutely. Anything for you, Gerard. I Anything for you. That. that sounds great. Jeremy right. Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, is our guest. Uh, we'll come right back after the break. We also got some tickets to give away before the program's out today. And coming up this Friday, the Sports Talks boy, Sports Talk Boys will be at the Sports Book at Timeout Lounge at Pearl River Resort. Coming right back. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, midday Super Talk Mississippi from the Element Wealth Studios. Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And speaking of which, we've got Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, uh, joining us today, apparently on vacation. And we appreciate you calling in, Jeremy, on this important day. So. Speaking of um, doing a little wealth management, markets selling off today uh, over concerns mm-hmm. about a banking contagion. What is really fascinating about today's sell-off to me, Jeremy, is that we got fairly good news on the inflation front this morning, with the PPI coming in lower than expected and retail sales being down, which is is actually good news from a Fed perspective because the Fed's looking to kill jobs and kill demand. So they get it with retail sales. They're looking to tame inflation. They get a positive PPI report along that front. They're meeting next week on the 22nd. So I think 
typically on this day, absent this banking meltdown, we'd have seen markets go through the roof thinking, hey, Jay Powell's got a reason now to pause, perhaps, and moderate his uh, aggressive uh, interest rate strategy. But instead, we get a sell-off because we get Credit Suisse talking about problems this morning. What do you think? Yeah, look, there's going to be more banks that are going to come out that are going to have issues here, right? And so I think that what this ultimately does is it increases the probability of the recession that we've said is probably coming in the second half of this year. Now, from a rate perspective, uh, ultimately, I think you're right. This is this is kind of some good news because the Fed is going to slow down now. Yeah. Uh, we were increasingly seeing 50 basis points you know, uh, in, priced into the market for March. I think that's got to be off the table at this point in time. Um, but I also think they need to go 25 because if they don't go 25, then that means that they're really worried, you know, that there's a big, big, you know, problem out there. So I think if they go to, they go 25, the market's going to be happy. Hey, they're listening, but they're not wildly concerned um, that this is systemic. Yeah, I, but beyond I, that, I think that they can they can really pause because I think this is deflationary now. I agree with you. Um, th- so the PPI, of course, uh, always uh, precedes uh, the drop in retail pricing, the consumer price index, so mm-hmm. inputs, uh, and a, and a large uh, uh, part of that was the cost of eggs. I don't know if you saw that down like thirty percent in month over month measurement. That's been mm-hmm. a, a a big driver of the the headline. Uh, CPI, uh, food, of course, and eggs included in so much of our food products. So maybe that's good news on on that front. And then oil, which is uh, integral to everything we, we purchase and, and uh, so important in the inflation picture, who knows, right? We, we, we can't tell because we can't get accurate information out of China, and we don't know if they're really coming back, roaring back. If they got the place shut down, we'd almost have to look at satellite photos to see the movement of people in the factories and the places of business because you can't get accurate info from the CCP. Yeah, you know, and with regard to inflation, what I would tell you is the number one thing that we think is that consumption has to slow down. Right. So, you know, eggs, that was an interesting thing with with the bird flu in Iowa. Right. That led to the big spike in egg prices. Um, You know, oil, obviously, you know, the the China demand thing is is a big question mark. Right. You just don't know. You can't trust the numbers there. Um, But broadly speaking, what we do know is that oil consumption over time is going to continue to go up despite what, you know, some of our politicians might let us uh, believe because of the growth in the emerging world still, right? So there's still a lot of increased demand for a lot, a lot of increased demand globally for oil. Um, So the thing that's got to come down a little bit is consumption. And what we've been really steadfast in talking about uh, in our, with clients or at our economic market forecast events is that you know, it takes time for rate hikes to cycle through the system. And, you know, the Fed has been very aggressive over the last 12 months now. You know, we are going to start to see the rate of inflation really coming down. The Fed doesn't need to go another 100 or 200 basis points, right? They need to get it up here. They need to hold. And you're going to see consumption start to get hit 
um, because more and more people are going to end up with mortgages at higher interest rates with with elevated real estate prices, right? That's going to take disposable income away from people. Now with this banking, you know, risk, right? I think people are going to kind of pucker up a little bit and go, you know, maybe I'm not going to spend quite as much money. I'm going to just, I'm, I'm a little bit more worried about there. There could be a bigger recession, yeah. uh, whether they're right or wrong about that. It's just what they will likely do. So what you've got to see is consumption start to come down a little bit. And, you know, I think that we're going to start to see that because you're seeing a not, you're seeing layoffs, you're seeing cost cutting uh, with all these major tech companies and banks. Uh, you know, ultimately all that cost cutting is just less spending in the economy. It's just going to take time. And we think that as we get later into the year, we are going to see a much more normal uh, inflation number. Maybe not, you know, I don't, I still don't think all the way down to the Fed's target, uh, but we're going to be coming down here over the set, over the, you know, second third of the year here. I, I agree with you. Yeah, the target, of course, at 2%. We got Larry Fink, we talked about that earlier at uh, BlackRock predicting 3 to 4% inflation for, quote, years. And he sends this 20-page letter out, and that's got everybody up in a tizzy on Wall Street, especially. And he was a bit critical in his letter of the administration, which I, I found uh, uh, somewhat surprising, given that I don't think it's a secret, Jeremy. He wants to be Secretary of the Treasury. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised by that. I guess he's also kind of looking at the fact that, you know, there's a pretty high probability that the president won't be the president That's coming true. up um, in 2024. That's true. So maybe he feels comfortable to, to let it loose a little bit there. All right, speaking of uh, potential risk also coming down the pike, what about commercial real estate mortgages? I'm, I'm worried about uh, the banks holding a, a good bit of those. That doesn't look good. Well, yeah, so the the CMBS market, uh, now the CMBS market has some potential risk there, right? So that's the commercial mortgage-backed securities market. Yeah. But the underwriting standards over the past decade have been so much better and okay. so much, um, you know, the the loan the the loan to value ratios that when they underwrote these things were nowhere near what you saw back in two thousand six two thousand seven before yeah. the global financial crisis. So, I, I do see you know a little bit of risk there with the banks, but nothing that is going to take the banks down. Okay, what about uh, refinancing of uh, some of this? Uh, some of these loans that just a typical commercial business has that they 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 uh, took out loans not so long ago at very low interest rates, they got to go back and refinance them. Obviously, the rate's going to be higher. What kind of risk is there there? I think that's I think that that's part of our case why we see a recession ultimately coming is that because when people refinance debt when they're forced to refinance debt at high, at, at higher interest rate levels, then what you're going to see is less money, right? There's more money going to interest and that's less money to spend on your business or spend personally. Uh, it just, it's, everyone had kind of locked in rates as long as they could as we get to the end of that cycle where now people are forced to refinance, then you're gonna start to see some real economic impacts there. I know you can't give investment advice here on the show, but uh, in, in general, uh, what would you say to someone that is uh, looking for uh, some advice or, or how to manage their portfolio? Uh, no secret, you guys yeah. uh, do a great job uh, on uh, uh, some of my holdings and, and appreciate that. But it seems like 
diversity is kind of the name of the game here, is it not? Well, so look, this was this was the number one thing that we said in our in January at our economic market forecast. We said, look, there's a lot of cross currents going on. It's very difficult to figure out what's going to happen. This is the point where diversification starts to matter, right? Diversification broke last year because interest rates went up. And in 2021 and, and beginning of 2022, we said, look, rates going up could be the big problem for bonds and stocks. That was our concern. But now we're saying, hey, look, diversification matters. So if you were holding some treasuries or some good investment grade bonds over the past week here with equity markets you know, going absolutely haywire, then those bonds really bailed out your portfolio. Yeah. So number one, this is what we put in our client note the other day. We said, look, it's still a bear market. We are not in a bull market. So it is still a bear market. Remember that you gotta be a little cautious. You know, but number two, diversification. And ultimately this is gonna present a lot of opportunities uh, you just got to be patient right now. Just as uh, SVB was ultimately taken down by concentration in a single industry, you don't want your portfolio too heavily concentrated in any given segment or uh, investment instrument either. Same sort of um, concept applies. Yeah. Jeremy, appreciate you joining us. Very insightful. We'll be talking soon. All right, Gerard. Thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. Jeremy Nelson, partner at Element Wealth, has been our guest in the Element Wealth studios. We're coming right back with half an hour and some tickets to give away. Stay with us. Today. Everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Back in the Element Well Studios. Once again, it's the boys from Sports Talk Mississippi. They'll be at the Sports Book at Timeout Lounge at Pearl River Resort. That's coming up this Friday. They'll get you ready for the big basketball tournament. And don't forget, you can catch all the action anytime at the Sports Book at the Timeout Lounge. So we got some tickets to give away. You want to go ahead and knock that out? Oh, yeah, we can knock it out because Grammy Award-winning and platinum-selling band Train are coming to Brandon to perform at the Brandon Amphitheater on September 17th. Tickets for the show are going to go on sale in a couple days on Friday. You can get them at Ticketmaster.com or stop by the Brandon Amphitheater box office. But you've got a chance right now to win a pair of tickets before you can even buy them. All you got to do is be the 22nd person to text into the C Spire text line, that number is 601-879-4395. Text in the word ANGELS. Be the 22nd person to text in ANGELS to the C Spire text line, and you'll win a pair of tickets to see Train at the Brandon Amphitheater on September 17th. Got it. So, uh, Senator Daniel Sparks, 
he replied to the governor's response to HB 401, the vehicle bill, so-called electric vehicle bill. By the way, it doesn't apply just to electric vehicles. It it dictates, it's a, gov- a government dictate of how automobiles, new automobiles, will be sold in the state of Mississippi. Hope you caught the interview with Senator Sparks this past Friday. I thought I thought it was a good interview. We we got to this matter in the third segment. Kept the senator on. Appreciate that too for three segments, and we discussed this matter in the third segment. But the senator says, "Thank you, Governor Tate Reeves, for standing for consistency and fairness. Business laws need to be clear, fair, and not subject to circumvention." Investment relies on certainties. Competition is welcomed, innovation is encouraged, and the efficient will ultimately prevail. One set of rules for all. Except I I take exception to the Senator's assessment here. In fact, I believe what the state is saying here is that we don't want innovation. We're not, we don't encourage efficiency. You got a more efficient model, a more efficient route to market? I'm sorry, you can't do that in Mississippi. So the efficient can't prevail. The efficient are being banned from in participating in Mississippi's economy. That's for the market to decide, not government. So I still maintain that these are outdated laws that should be repealed. And I can assure you that the traditional automobile, automobile manufacturers Let's just say Ford, GM, the what now are the big two U.S. automakers. They've got this sprawling dealer network that, by the way, they've pared down quite a bit over the last few years in the interest of, guess what, efficiency and innovation. Because it's a lot more efficient for them and cost-effective to deal with large ownership groups as opposed to a bunch of small ones. And so they've been paring down their dealer network, almost forcing some of the smaller guys to join up with the bigger. That's why we've seen such consolidation in the industry. And this is not unusual. I've experienced this in my industry in a big way, uh, watching the, the, um, the smaller become absorbed and consolidating, partnering up with the larger. That's just just natural evolution over time as an industry matures. And so in this particular case, I believe this sends the message that, that we're not really open to new innovative routes to market, rather than saying, well, no, you may have a different way, and it may be more innovative, it may be more efficient, it may be more preferred, It may reduce cost, give more choices to consumers, but you can't do that here. That's what this says to me. You may have a different take, and that's fine. And again, I I rarely disagree with the governor on on matters such as this. I think he's been great for business, and I think he he has a clear and and, uh, proper understanding of the role of government vis-a-vis the private sector. And that's fine. So I'm going to continue to work to encourage lawmakers to 
repeal these very old laws, which are referred to as franchise laws, but as we found out, Rhino, I think you would agree, and my question to the senator last week, they only apply to one industry, actually one aspect of one industry. So it's, it's, it's a little disingenuous, I believe, to refer to them as franchise laws because they don't re- apply to all franchise structures. I, I signed a franchise agreement in 1984. I know a little bit about that. I don't remember that being subject to any sort of state law, statute. Uh, and there are lots of other franchise organizations that operate in our state as well, but we, sh- we should welcome all routes to market. I, I believe that that we need to acknowledge, and this is not whatsoever a knock on the state of Mississippi. This is my home. I love it here. I wouldn't... I started my business here knowing that I could have built it elsewhere and it had been a much more valuable asset and could have cashed out 20 years prior. But I did it because this is where I wanted to live and where I wanted to raise my family. And I believe it is the best place in the country to do that. And I want to make it better. But it's no secret that we, we lag in virtually every statistically meaningful economic category. And that's not a that's not a slant on any person, any politician, any leader. And I know the governor is aware of this, and I know he thinks about this constantly. And he's committed to con- continuously improving the economic environment in our state. He gets that, no doubt about it. But the point I'm going to make is that we need to acknowledge that reality and that, in general, we need outside investment. We need, like it or not, large companies and, and dollars and capital more than they need us. And it's just a mathematical reality more than anything else. And therefore, we've got to be open to and embrace all routes to market. It's why I believe it's important that we continue to reform our tax structure and and make our state, and our regulatory structure, of course, and make our state a more attractive place for business. It's just simple as that. And I know the governor gets that. And I think he's he's held true to his word there. I I just disagree on this particular one, and I'm going to continue to push to, again, repeal this. And and this is not something that's going to have an impact tomorrow or necessarily in the next year or so, near future, but, but it's coming. You can see it. This is, this is just the, the, uh, the, the expected trajectory of innovation and disruption affecting an industry that's been somewhat immune to it. And this isn't about electric vehicles. It's just about routes to market. And if a manufacturer says, you know what, I want to sell my cars directly, they should be allowed to do that. They, they should not be subject to 50-year-old laws that say, no, we don't allow direct sales in Mississippi. And this idea of we've got to protect um, smaller businesses and so forth, well, if that's the case, then we should just tell Walmart, we should run them out of town, because good grief. How many inefficient 
small and mid-sized businesses, do they cost to close? So while I, I feel for the plight of those that lost out there, the fact is the market won. Consumers won. Is there anybody listening that doesn't do business with Walmart? What about Amazon? I mean, those are just obvious examples. There's millions of others. I talked last week, I think, Rhino, about these high-end audio AV um, sellers, manufacturers. I'm just shocked they'll sell all that stuff direct. It used to be, nope, you have to go see. You remember this. One of our dealers, even though you don't need them, now, that doesn't mean you don't need people to help you with all that stuff because it's complicated. But what's happened since then is rather than having these brick-and-mortar dealers selling all that stuff, you, you've got these number of organizations, even around town here, that'll come and do all that stuff in your house. Almost all of us need that now. Geek Squad at Best Buy is a, is a prime example of that. But that's allowing multiple routes to market. Do we have a winner? We do. All right. We're coming right back with more. We'll round out the day in the final segment here on Midday. Stay with us. It's so awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on. Let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. Uh, with respect to my disagreement on this matter with Senator Sparks, I, I'm friends with the senator. I respect him and typically agree with him. We just disagree on this matter, and that, that's the way it ought to work. I mean, it, we'll, we'll move on. And uh, I'm optimistic and still believe and support the governor, believe he will be reelected, and but we're going to keep pushing to... And I know that's what the governor wants. He wants this to be the best place in the country to set up shop, to do business, and and, I, and I'm with him. And I, I just believe that removing these laws, repealing these laws, would send a very strong message to the market that, man, Mississippi is welcomes all routes to market and all innovation. We, we have to. We can't afford not to. And I know the governor shares my view that I don't want to be reliant on the federal government to the extent we are. I, I don't want and, and being reliant on the federal government the way we are essentially means we're reliant on states that don't share our values. I don't like that. I know the governor doesn't either. And we're going to keep working to implement policy that allows our economy and all Mississippians to, to flourish. That that's the key. That addresses so many of our our problems and our issues. That's where it comes from. Ben from Madison says, it frustrates the heck out of me, Mississippi standing in the way of Mississippi. Also thinks we ought to have a conversation with Vivek Ramaswamy, candidate for president. I'd love to do that. I'm going to work on that, Ben. I'll get our content director. I have been paying a lot of attention to Mr. Ramaswamy for a couple of years, but now as a candidate, he just makes so much sense, and he's so dang smart. 
Ben says, Gerard, no doubt you are helping progress Mississippi in your current role. I believe you would be able to promote our state inside and out, unlike any other person who has served if you were to be elected by the people. Well, I, gosh, I'm, I'm honored. I'm humbled, Ben. Um, you know, if it's enough people would like to see me serve in that role, I'd certainly step up. I, I don't have any um, agenda. I don't need politics. I don't need the spoils. I don't uh, have any connections to any special interests. I've been running a business 30-some-odd years, and like you guys, just want to take care of your, your affairs, your households, your families, same thing. And I think that this is the way our founders envisioned it as well, did they not? That you go serve society and create value and do your part, and you'd get to a point and you'd leave, at that point, rhinos, leave the farms. You'd go serve in government as a sacrifice. That's the way it ought to be. I'm going to leave the farm and the family, go sacrifice, do the uh, business of the people, and then return. That was the idea. And, and, I, and I'd like to think that, uh, should I ever do such, I could follow that model, follow that template. It made so much sense. It still should and should apply today. Totally agree. Shaq Bully and uh, Biloxi says, I'm tuning in late. Did the governor sign the Tesla bill? He did, and we'll talk about it some more tomorrow. Thomas and Greenwood, gosh, I'm not sure what all Thomas is saying here. Y'all have fun supporting the lesser of two evils. I cannot in good conscience. It's not supporting the lesser of two evils, Thomas. It's, it's supporting what... Uh, There's I, a reason it's called the political spectrum. It is a gradient, Thomas. It's not freaking black and white. You don't get to define what conservative is. You're not king of the world, dude. Uh, I, w- I want to, to put people in positions of power that I believe give us the best chance of implementing uh, the, the policies that I agree with. And I believe... Uh, and, and, and so it's not a matter of lesser of two evils. Uh, I don't think I'm going to find any candidate with whom I believe in a line 100% ever. That's fine. But someone that's incredibly close, and maybe we disagree on an issue here, but we work, continue to work through it, that's the best chance we have of getting what I think is the best outcome Rather than just saying, okay, well, uh, I'm, um, I'm abandoning that person for that, that one issue. No, and I, gosh, think about your own lives. If, if um, your spouse, your family, your customers, your vendors, your, your partners, if they treated you the same way, you'd be a failure. It just doesn't work. It's not the way life works. We just have to work together, and I'm going to continue to work on all parties involved to advance uh, good policy. And hopefully our in our little patch, our little voice here is maybe having an impact. We're going to continue to do that. But we're out of time here today. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, really do. Um, it's been a good day to come back. And we're going to be back again tomorrow in the Element Well Studios. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone.
Mississippi Media Production.